place is not exactly what we would all perceive it to be. Uh, we would define it as a unmerited favor. We would tell, um, uh, we're going to sing Amazing Grace, we're going to sing this, we're going to sing that. But what does it really mean? And, and I gave you an outline that we've just pretty much stuck to. And if you go through every message I've preached, you're going to go through this and you're going to see what he's done and what you do based on that. Um, grace is that which we were saved and and we understand that it was we, we like that text out of Ephesians 2 that it was by grace you have been saved through faith but it was for good deeds that he preordained I see the church today doing what they want to do as good deeds and I'm not sure that they are his good deeds. I think that we're just trying to appease God. Um, when many of you have gone through different studies in the book of Romans and we come to Romans 12:1 and present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pure. This is your act of worship. And we all want to, yes, 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 I will be a sacrifice for God, a living sacrifice. The problem is we build our own altar. And... Um, when we we don't ask him where, what altar he would have us be on sacrificially. And um, I want to read 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. We'll go over 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14 also. I'd like to tell you I planned that, but that's not the way I planned it. But I want us to look at these, and then I want, I want to kind of reason with you. Because as I look at this group... Here today, there's young people here. Uh, there's older people here. There are some who are preparing for retirement. There's some who wish they were preparing for retirement. Um, and, and we've come from uh, almost as many different backgrounds in this group as um, can, be, can be drawn in humanity. Um, I know that even this day, there are some of us who are going through some heart-wrenching times, horrible times. Horrible things are happening in our lives. And I, I think that this text will help you, this message. It's, it's not going to be as much preaching as it's going to be, um, let us reason together. All right? So let's read... 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. We'll start right there. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church's of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. Father, teach us. Father, as I was encouraged through this, Father, may these precious souls be encouraged. Father, may your spirit move in a massive way this glorious day. Father, may we draw upon the depth of riches of who you are. To his glory in Christ. Amen. I've been sharing with you, it started several months ago, but I've kind of 
dropped in on a word, delivered. We have been delivered. We have been redeemed. Uh, And I've really been just beating that word. We have been delivered, we studied in Colossians, from darkness to light. And that's a metaphor that we have been delivered from error to truth. We have been delivered from the lie to he who is true. We have been delivered from the liar to the king of righteousness and truth. But we also looked at the fact that we had been delivered from sin to righteousness. Okay, and, and I shared with you to deliver something doesn't mean you're in the process of delivering it. Uh, I used the illustration of receiving some books. I had ordered them in California, and the books left California and showed up at my house. And when I got them, I was in complete possession of the books. I was not getting them one page at a time. Too many in the body of Christ today think that they are getting Christ one page at a time. You have everything you need for life and godliness right now. If you are saved, you have it. Do you know that right now you have life abundantly? Right now. I'm not waiting for it. I'm not waiting for some temporal experience. I have it right now. I have been delivered from the lie to truth. I have been delivered from sin to right standing with God. Okay, I have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. I see Christians who carry guilt. How can you carry guilt? Has he delivered you? If he has delivered you, how can you carry guilt? But you don't understand. No, you don't understand who God is. Has he forgiven you or is he forgiving you? No, he has, past tense, forgiven you. And I want to show you this. Let me ask you a question. When you, we're in a month, a season, a time, an area where we sort of come together for Thanksgiving. And think about the things that you, we are thankful for. Do you know one of the ways that you can tell saved people from lost people? Heart of gratitude. What is amazing about that is in the society we live in today, the evangelical society we live in today, unless I have nice temporal things, I'm not grateful. I want to share with you a little bit on these two letters. These two letters, First and Second Thessalonians, are the first two letters chronologically of the New Testament. Do you understand that? I know not laid out. But the first two letters, the first two times that you have writings under the New Covenant are 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Those are the first. The last is 2nd Timothy. All right? And it is amazing to chronicle Paul's life. He had been to Thessalonica. He preached there a short time in the synagogue. He was run out of synagogue. My best estimations are he was not much more than three months, maybe four months in the town of Thessalonica. He left there and they were so mad at him that they literally took a man hostage and threatened to kill him if he kept preaching this gospel. And so he left. He went about 50 miles away. He did not get on mass transit. He did not get on an airplane. He, did, he walked to Berea. He shared the gospel there. And it says that the Bereans were extremely 
noble because they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul taught was true. Do you know that when he was in Berea that the people in Thessalonica came there and run him out? That's how mad they were at Paul and Timothy and Silas for preaching. At the writing of this letter, he's literally the first Thessalonians. He's in Athens and he has sent Paul, he has sent uh, Timothy and Silas back to find out if the church has died. If the people had rejected the gospel and all the rest of it. And he goes through chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. is one of the most powerful, amazing reports on a church that you can ever get. It says, the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only from Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Macedonia and Achaia, do you know where that is? That's the whole Greek peninsula. The whole thing. I don't know what the radio station was that they were producing the message out of, but the faith of the Thessalonian believers was so massive that it literally had already penetrated the whole Greek peninsula, what God had done. They had turned from idols to the true and living God. Not only that, what God was doing in Thessalonica was literally being heard throughout Christendom. Now listen, I don't know if it was through their cable TV service. I don't know if it was through their radio programming. I don't know how it was getting out. You know what? I don't even know who their preacher was. I don't know if he was published. And yet what God was doing in that church that was suffering for Jesus Christ, he says, only compares to what Christ has done in the church in Jerusalem. That would be the first Baptist church, period. Okay, in Jerusalem. All right. They were delivered. And he says here, for this reason, we what? We thank God. Have you ever thanked God for the saints? What about the nasty saints? Have you ever been grateful for the church, for the brothers and sisters that you serve with? And let me ask you a question. Have you seen it? You can be grateful for something and no one ever know it. If I was grateful for a believer, how would that believer know it? Well, I'd send him a thank you card. Is that how they would know it? Is it? Look what he says here. You received the word. You got that? If you are saved, what did you do? You received the word. I grabbed that bugger and I held on to it. It became vital to me. It became important to me. It became something I was dependent on. It became something that I was focused on. Some people have shared with me. They said, you know what? There's times that I see you and you just sit around and you don't say nothing. Everybody, you'll be in a group and everybody's talking and you don't say nothing. And then there's other times that you just won't shut up. Okay. That's true. And I can tell you when. If we're talking about the temporal, I mean, if it comes to raising your kids, it comes to, you know, what are you doing with your car? Are you financing your house or sports or stuff like that? You will hear very little input from me. Listen, I got people in this room who think they know me and I've got a question. Do you really? If I'm quiet, have you ever wondered what the focus of the conversation is? Ask yourself that. 
But if you change the focus of the conversation to something else, I have a hard time shutting up. What is the focus? Christ or His Word? Because I can't separate the two. Okay? Now listen, I'm not saying that you're wrong if you sit and talk about your kids or your job. I ain't, ain't, ain't it. But i got to be honest with you. I love all of you and I'm not interested. Why? Paul says, I am thankful because you did something. What was that? You received the word. Here's what they did, which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Okay. Now, I want you to think about that for a second, because in verse 12, he says, I want you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. How am I going to walk worthy of God? I have to receive the word. You know what that implies for Castle Rock Baptist Church? You have to be there. You have to be there. You can't see receive the word if you stick it under your pillow at home. I tried that. I tried that. You can't. If I come here on a, a, a Tuesday night, if I come here on a Wednesday night or a Friday night or whatever, you know what I'm going to do? Same thing I do every Sunday morning. Same thing I used to do on Sunday nights. I'm going to deliver the word. It's not my responsibility for you to receive it. Did you know that? We believe today that the pastor needs to call me and prompt me to come. Paul says, I'm thankful because they received the word. Not because some bonehead was teaching it. It was because it was the word of God. It's not the word of what? Men. It's not the word of men. It's the word of God. So you know what's nice about that? I don't care who's teaching. Just give me the word of God. And the Apostle Paul says, you know what? I am thankful. And I want to show you why. Okay? If you don't get anything out of anything I ever teach, ever. All right? I want you to get this. All right? The end of verse 13. What does it say? Performs its work in you who believe. Okay? You receive the word of God for what reason? So I'll have all kinds of Bible memory like my computer program does. No. You receive the word. True Christians receive the word. Why? You've been delivered out of the lie into truth. There should be a vacuum of desire for truth in a child of God. It should be the overwhelming desire of a child of God. I want truth. I want more truth. I want it daily. I want to feast on it. I want to chew on it. I want to meditate on it. I want to belch it up and regurgitate it and let it go back through again. Over and over and over and over and over and over. That's all I want. I want the word of God. 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 And to which I may grow in it. Why? Because it performs its work in you who believe. 
It literally, we had this little discussion come up in the Sunday school class on psychology. Okay, and psychiatrists, if you go see a psychiatrist today, he will prescribe something for you, and it will always deal with the symptom. Okay, right? You're depressed or you're, what's the opposite of trust? Uh, manic. Or you're this, you're that, you feel guilt-ridden, or what is that one? Like? Codependent, and you're this, and all the rest of it. And if I give you this pill, it'll make you feel this way. If I give you this thing, it'll be this. If I give you this, and it'll make you do this and this. And you know what? And there's some, it does stuff like that. But you know what it doesn't do? Fix the problem. It doesn't cure the problem. Psychology, psyche study. Psyche is your soul. Your soul. What can a psychiatrist do for man's soul? What drug can you take for a man's soul? How do you fix a man's soul? They receive the word of God and believe. If they don't receive the word of God, you can't fix them. Might as well give them a pill. You know, I use this illustration. You, you cut your arm off in, a, in an accident. Okay? You go to the doctor and he says, here, take a pain pill. Right? Did he fix anything? No, you're probably going to bleed to death. Or you're going to get an infection and it's just going to eat the rest of you away. And yet, what do we do in the church today? Give them a pill. Take a pill. Why? You feel down here? Fill up. Oh, you feel up here? Fill down. I struggle with this. I struggle with this because he tells me I've given you everything you need for life, temporal, godliness, spiritual. Has he or hasn't he? And do you believe? Okay. We prescribe something that takes care of a symptom. Listen, God gave the human body pain, right? If I smash my thumb with a hammer, boom, he says, the body will now respond immediately with pain. Every once in a while, I run a few weeks ago, actually a month ago, I run a drill bit through my thumb. And I pulled it out, and I looked at it, and it didn't hurt. Okay, And when you do that, you know it's about to really, really hurt. Because God says, that's so bad, you're going to need to sit down for a second, and then I'll tell you. Right? Okay, so I pulled it out of my thumb. I sat down. It started bleeding. And about that time, it said, that's going to leave a mark. Right? Now, I could have gone in and taken something for pain and really ended up in a lot of trouble, couldn't I? Because the main symptom at that point in time was what? Wow, that hurts. Right? But that wasn't the main problem. He gave you the pain to say, there's something more important here that is wrong that you need to deal with. I look at men and women today who are in excruciating pain and they want something to deal with the symptom, not with the source of that pain. 
The Apostle Paul here writing to these people said that you received the word of God which you heard from us and you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. It is the word of God. Look what else he says. Because this will do what? Perform its work in you. It literally will change you. Here's how it even looks. For you, look what he says. For you brethren, and he uses the word became imitators. You became mimics. You became mimics of what? The churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Do you know that what happened? What the major source or the major focus of the church in Judea was persecution, hated by their own people. Okay, um, where was Paul based out of before his conversion? Jerusalem. And you know what his great joy in life was? Arresting Christians, men, women, children. He loved it. He felt equal rights for all. All right, and he thought that was the great thing. Let's do this. Let's really get good at it. Maybe we can just crucify the whole lot of them. Did you note what I shows the picture of a true believer? They stand for truth in a world that loves the lie. Any lie. Any lie I can get, I want to embrace that lie. I want to grow that lie. I want to pet that lie because that lie loves me. Why? It's self-centered. Everything is self-centered. God says, no, you can't be self-centered. Die. It's no longer you who live. It is I who live in you. How many of us do that? Think about the stuff that we do. Think about the things that we work through our minds and we orchestrate, we plan, we articulate. We want to, I want to accomplish something. I'm preparing to buy a car. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to go to this school or I want to go to this college. I want to save for this. I'd like to have this thing here. How much energy do I put into that specific event? How much energy do I put into Christ? And that's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, you know what? You are like the churches in Judea. They endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen. How important was that suffering? I'll share with you how important that suffering. How intense was it? Okay. How, how hard was that suffering? Do you know what the day of the Lord is? That's the last three and a half years of time when Jesus Christ literally pours out the seven bowls of wrath upon humanity. The restraining work of the Holy Spirit to hold back sin, he completely does away with. I'm no longer going to hold back sin. Not only am I not going to hold back sin, I'm going to pour my judgment out on the world. Okay, that sounds awful, doesn't it? The persecution that was happening... And the church in Thessalonica was so bad that some false teacher came in and says, you're in the day of the Lord. And they were believing it. Now, listen, if a person comes up to me today and tells me I'm in the day of the Lord, I'm going to send them to a psychiatrist. I know a psychiatrist can't fix the soul, but that's the least of these people's problems. Because if you look around right now and think you're in the day of the Lord, you're a nut. 
That's not you. What? The wrath of God being poured out from heaven on earth? No, it ain't happening. Okay, has he re- sort of given us over? Oh, yeah, that's happened. But the seven bold judgments, go look at it. I mean, you got oceans turning to blood and nothing can live in them. I don't see that. All right, need I go down the line on that one? I don't think so. But the persecution that was happening to, to believers in Thessalonica was so massive that someone said, you're in the day of the Lord, and they thought, perhaps we are. Okay, go over to 2 Thessalonians. So he writes 2 Thessalonians to correct that. Okay, and in beginning in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, he says... Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and gathering it together, that you quickly, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed by any spirit or message or a letter as if from us, as the effect of the day of the Lord has come. So you see what he's dealing with right there, right? Then, beginning at verse 3, he starts describing the Antichrist, the followers of Antichrist, and what will happen. Okay? Verse 10, if I want to see a believer in the contrast of a non-believer, you know how I spot a non-believer the quickest? Verse 10, because at the end of the age, the end of that, that seven years of, well, first three and a half years is travail, the last three and a half years is the great tribulation. Okay, how do I spot them? They did not receive the love of what? The truth as to be saved. What did I just share with you that Paul was thankful to the church in Thessalonica? They had received the word, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God. So you want to spot a Christian? Listen, if you spend any time with me at all in a casual place... You're going to, have to be hard-pressed not to hang out with me and not hear Jesus, the Bible, and stuff about Jesus in the Bible, and the church in the Bible, and salvation in the Bible, and the second coming in the Bible, and all, all the other things that happen in the Bible. Why? I'm just so narrow-minded. I actually don't have very much of a life. All I do is read my Bible. I, I don't know. It's sort of dull. It's a real old book. But you know what? I've tried it all else. It's the Bible, people. Charles Spurgeon, writing in the late 1800s, got on a thing that he calls, he called the pinnacle of the church. Okay? The pinnacle of the church is the height of expository preaching. Period. The church can never reach any higher point in its existence outside of expository preaching. Okay, did you know that? Do you know that cantatas don't make it greater? Did you know that musical drama or drama, depending on what you want, doesn't make it greater? The church will never get any higher than the pinnacle of expository preaching. And then he went on and warned that when she moves from that single focus, it begins a downgrade. And it is a, such a slippery slope. He does not know that man has the ability to change its direction. 
once it slides. Okay? That's what he said. Why? He said, it is only at the heights of truth will God be honored. God be honored. Okay? And the only way you're going to do that is in the Bible. Please hear me. Not books about the Bible. It is the Bible. God is revealed in one place. The Bible. His plan, specific and general for you individually, every single one of you, is revealed. Did you know that? One place. One place. The Bible. Okay? Me, as a pastor preacher, I have one very clear, um, and I'll even go with compelling duty. One. I like that. I have a job. I have one duty and one tool to achieve that duty. That is, you know, preaching was just made for me. I, I, he can't handle complicated. Give him one thing to do and give him only one tool to get it done with. He'll be fine. Because if you give him two, oh my goodness, look, there he goes. All right, so God says, I'm going to do this, and I'm thinking about Terry in the future. He can't handle this. I'm going to give him one thing to do, and I'm going to give him one tool to get it done with. Therefore, he can't look at me and say, well, I got confused. I am to display the glory of God through the exposition of Scripture, period. That's it. I have two options. Word of men, word of truth. This text out of Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is a contrast between the people of verse 10 who did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. Verse 13, he says this, we give thanks. There he goes again. Can you believe it? He gave thanks for them the first time because of what? They received the word of God for what it was. Okay. He said, gosh, I am so thankful. He says, we give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith where? It was for this he called you through our gospel that you made. Did you read the end of that verse? I want you to think about that for a second. Just meditate on that one for a second. Okay? Have you ever worked someplace and you just weren't never appreciated? You know, they just didn't appreciate me for what I was. My bosses were always giving me stuff to do and I wasn't that good and all the rest of it. And I, I just never been appreciated. Have you ever been in a home situation, a husband and wife said, my wife doesn't appreciate me, my Husband doesn't appreciate me. My children, children will never appreciate what their parents do. When their parents are dead and they have kids, then they'll say, oh, my God, my parents were so amazing. But it's not until then. Um, but it's stuff like that. All right. Look at the end of that. I, I, I want to back through these two verses real quick. Okay. Okay, I, I want to show you something here that is amazing. I shared with you as a Pastor, preacher, I have one duty and I have one tool to accomplish that duty. 
I like that. I think that's wonderful. I need simplicity. Okay? Here's what happens. He called you through our gospel. Okay? People get saved through what? Did you understand what he said? And, and, and I shared with you, how do you get the gospel out? Preaching. And how do you get that out? You send them. Right? Do you understand that? It isn't through movies. Did you get that? The Chronicles of Narnia. Okay. Is the gospel in there? Yeah, that's what they say. But I know emphatically where it is. And I don't have to go searching for it. Okay. I don't have to paint a little picture and say, do you see the gospel? Okay. I remember a guy trying to explain to me in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the gospel was in there. And I kept thinking, what? You didn't see the one I saw, huh? Because I know he didn't read the book. I read them books enough that I almost memorized the suckers. Ain't no gospel in there. The author saved, okay. But if I want to give somebody the gospel, if I want to give somebody truth, where do I go? The Bible. The Bible. Why? Because you know what? Lost people do not have a love for the truth. Now, let me ask you a question. I just want you to think about this for a second. What does the church look like today? What does it look like? I heard a guy preach big church this morning. I just decided to listen to it because, well, part of the reason is they got this lady singer who sounds just like Janis Joplin, but she sings gospel music. And I keep thinking, man, that's just incredible. And that's about the extent of the ministry. Sorry. I listened to him preach today. You know what he was going to preach about today? Being redeemed. And he says, there's two points I want you to know about being redeemed. First is that there is a prince of redemption. Okay. That sounded good. And then you've been redeemed from sin. And we got done teaching on being redeemed from sin. I had no idea what he meant. (coughs) You've been redeemed from sin. Well, what does that mean? How does that apply to me? You've been redeemed from it. Well, okay, but what does that mean? Well, you've been forgiven. So I can continue to sin because I've been forgiven? And that's what I got done hearing. And I got done with that. I thought, well, I was silly. You know what was tragic about it? He didn't use any scripture. He didn't use any scripture. So I could have been sitting in the audience and said, you know what? That's your opinion. That's a lost man. Now, I'm smart enough to know certain statements he was making have biblical emphasis to it. I understand that completely. But lost people don't. You know what? I don't know if the church does. This text here, I give thanks because what happened? Back up in it. You had a faith in what? Truth. You don't understand what that means? I had a faith in truth. I had a belief in truth. What is truth? Scripture. Look what else he says. Back through this thing. How did that happen? Through the Spirit. And it did what? And that is proof of what does he start it with? Salvation. 
Those people are holy. They look completely different than the world. How's come? Because the Spirit energized word of truth transformed them. And you know what happens? When that happens, read what it says at the end of verse 14. My text says, you gain the glory of what? Our Lord Christ Jesus. You got that? What are you here for? Listen, if you believe God saved you to take you to heaven, you missed the boat. Completely missed the boat. You, He saved you because He wanted to manifest His power so massively beyond even His creation. He says, I have a plan that me and my son come up with that my power will be so manifested that I will take blind, naked, godless, depraved people and the glory of the pure son will be manifest in them people. That's how powerful I am. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to pour my spirit out upon them and I'm going to give them my word and they will literally walk among the lost, shining the radiance of my son. You know what's nice about this text? He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about now. Now. And you know how it's done? Receiving the Lord word. Receiving the word. I thrive on the Bible. It's been the roughest two years that I've ever had in ministry. And the Bible carried me through it. Still carried me actually. I've been asked to deliver a message up in Chicago to 40 different pastors that are involved now in this Antioch initiative. All of them are amazing minds. And they asked me to give the message. What am I going to say? Simple, Terry. You have one message, one tool. Oh, yeah. Quit trying to make it complicated, Terry. I gave you the one tool. Grab the one tool. Give the one message. It's not complicated. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You see? Here's what MacArthur said. This is a quote. In unfolding the truth of the word, this he gave me many, many years ago. It's about nine, ten years ago. In unfolding the truth of the word of God, going deep into the truth of the word of God, God, God's glory is always revealed. When God's glory is revealed, God's people praise him. So the preacher goes down so that he may take his people up. Down into the depth of truth that they might be elevated to the heights of praise. Unquote. Me reading that quote to you, you know me more than most people will know. That's who I am. You know more about me right now than a whole bunch of people who think they know me. I love my job. 
It only has one tool. Okay? I want you to think about this for a second. Now we're going to kind of reason together here for a second. Just a few moments. I showed you here in this text, through sanctification by the Spirit, how do you get holy? It's by the Spirit. What is your responsibility to the truth? Okay? If you spend very little time in the Word of God, guess what? You look very much like the world. If you're even saved. Because remember, the contrast here is those who don't like the Bible are following the king of lies. Right? Here's what Luther said. He, it's literally a commentary that he, he wrote on Psalm 119. If Psalm 119 is the largest chapter of Scripture, you know what the focus is in the, the whole psalm? The Word of God. Hello. Largest chapter of the largest book in the Bible. And its theme is... I'm thinking maybe he has an emphasis here. What do you think? All right? Here's what he says. God is outside of us. This is a quote from Luther. You can't invent God. You can't invent truth. God is not a product of your imagination. Therefore, you cannot invent truth. God is not a product of your experience. Therefore... You cannot validate truth by the experience. God is not a product of your intuition. And God is not a product of your emotion. God is outside of you. He's not subject to your tampering. God is not a clay toy that you can shape any way you like him to be. Unquote. Okay? Luther had it right. Listen, yes, I'm indwelt with the Spirit. It is the Spirit who sealed me, who has past tense sanctified me, but I have to have belief in truth. If I do not have that belief in truth, I do not have a love for truth. If I do not have a love for truth, go back to step one, salvation. It's non-existent entity. You cannot be saved and not be sanctified. Not only are my those two, according to the text in Thessalonians, I will be the glory of what? Christ. What Christ was to a dead and dying world will be manifest in the children who love truth. That's hardcore. Go share that with somebody today. Duck. He is outside of us. You do not mold Him. You do not make truth. Truth is not something that all of a sudden you came to. Truth exists. It exists now. You may be stupid to it, but it's still there. It's still truth. It's still truth. Let me deal with another person who's had uh, a great impact on my soul. Other than Christ and His Word. Guy's name was Martin Luther. No, not King. Okay, this guy lived in the 1500s. Um, you know him. Have you ever heard of the Reformation, where you have the birth of Protestants out of Catholicism? That would be Luther's fault. You know why Luther gets blamed for it? He studied Romans chapter one, verse sixteen. He'd become a priest. He was a lawyer, decided to be a priest. 
I don't know what that means exactly. Okay? He was studying scriptures because he was gone to a monastic lifestyle. He was going to be a monk. And he was reading that I am not ashamed of the gospel, the apostle Paul writes, for it is the power of God, first to the Jew, then the Gentile. You know what he said, dawned on him? It is not the church who saves people. It is the gospel. So he concluded, hey, let's get the word into the people's hands. Well, the Pope and the cardinals and the bishops and all the rest of them had a kitty. You can't do that. The word of God is protected. Only us smart people can handle the word of God. I shared with you, look at what I do for a living. How smart. Right? One message, one tool. Luther understood that. A year before his death, this was his conclusion. Let the man who would hear God speak read the Holy Scriptures. Unquote. Did you hear what he said? How many times you run into somebody I'm praying about something? I need to know if God wants me to go to whatever. Okay? Ask him what text they're reading. What Bible verse are you reading? What text of Scripture are you reading? Because if you want to hear God speak, where would you go? To the Word of God. I see people who pray incessantly and never open the book. He's already answered. You just haven't read the answer. Here's what Luther said about the Holy Writ. It is a fixed book with fixed letters, with fixed words, with fixed sentences. Unquote. You know what that means? You can't change it. You can't mold it. He understood that when Jesus said the jot and the tittle, he was safe in that book. Who's going to protect it? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall never. The question is, do you believe? And let me tell you something. I can look at somebody with a worn out Bible and see a person who's not worn out. You got that? I can look at a person with a worn out Bible and see a person who's not worn out. Why? Where's the rest at? They entered the Sabbath rest. Why? I have a love for the word. I feast upon it. Man does not live by bread alone. Do you believe that? Does your life show that? The church of Thessalonica, they believed it in such a way that the whole peninsula of Greece had heard it and Christendom was even aware of what God was doing in Thessalonica. Why? Who was their pastor? Anybody? I can't remember his name off. What was his radio broadcast, his TV broadcast? There wasn't one. We don't know who he was. But we do know this, that the people received the word of God as... The word of God and the word of God literally transformed them into the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his glory was being manifested in the whole underbelly of Europe. And here is a church that the Apostle Paul, if you really stretch it, you can't get him there more than four months. He didn't have the great John MacArthur. He didn't have the great orators, the great Hadley Spurgeon or the great whatever person you believe is necessary to make you grow. They took the word of God to whoever the gifted teachers were that were in that fellowship and they embraced that word of God and said, thus saith the Lord, this is true. Even in the midst of their persecution, they said, we will trust 
the Lord. Listen, you want to hear God? Read the book. Listen, if you want to stand around and think you and, and listen for God, I don't know what you're going to hear, but I can tell you this. It won't be God. In 1533, Luther stated this. The word of God is the great, greatest, most necessary, most important thing in Christendom, unquote. Ask yourself a question right now. In the church, what's important? Do you look at the church today, what's important? What is it? When you hear, you have friends who are looking for a church, ask them, what are they looking for? Ask them. Ask them what they're looking for. And then ask them if they disagree with Martin Luther. The church today is shallow at best. And there is a growing uh, exponentially of an indifference towards Scripture. That tells me the return of Christ is very near. He will not tolerate the bride in this position. You know what they'll tell you? Truth is divisive. I heard Dr. MacArthur explain it. It's called the hermeneutics of humility. I don't believe that just mortal man like me can study the Bible and really truly know what it says. Oh, God is so massive and so powerful, but he just can't make things clear. I believe he created us, didn't he? But I'm not going to tell you what my truth is. I don't think that it works that way. I think that what happens is that they don't know the depth of truth. And I think in that same framework, they don't know the glory of God. Okay, let me tell you an average week for Mr. Luther, 1500s. Okay, you know what that means, right? He doesn't have his laptop Bibles. Um, what do they call it? Paste and clip and all that and all the rest of it. So if he's going to study scripture, he has to read it. Okay, you know, he can't even listen to a good sermon on the radio. 1500. Here's his average week. He starts on Sunday morning. First worship service. 5 a.m. Okay? And that was an exposition of an epistle. Okay? Second worship service was at 10 a.m. Don't even think about it. 5 to 10. Did you know they didn't have Sunday school? Okay? 10 a.m. was an epistle or the exposition of a gospel. Okay? He would go home after that worship. And he would teach his kids, his children, the scriptures. At 5 p.m., he would return for the evening worship. And that time was an exposition of an Old Testament text. Okay? Monday and Tuesday were teaching formats for kids, men, young men who believed they were being called to uh, preaching. Wednesday, an exposition of the Gospel of Matthew. Thursday and Friday was an apostolic letters that he preached. And then Saturday he preached the, yes, Saturday night service. See, it's not a new thing. Um, he exposited the gospel of John. 
Now then, you wonder why he had an influence over the literal world? Okay, let me ask you a question today. How do you influence your world? How do you influence your world? In the, the sphere of your touching souls, how do you interact in it? How do you move in that sphere? Let me give you another contemporary of uh, Mr. Luther, a guy you've heard. He did not write five points, by the way. Um, John Calvin. You know, John Calvin's ministry was only 25 years long. And read, he wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible except for Revelations. Quite an in-depth commentary. I have the series. And he will freak you out. His ministry was from 1536 to 1564. He preached in Geneva. You know, he never changed his message for the holidays. No holidays. He never changed it. Did you know that? He was banned from Geneva for three years, but he came back and picked up where he left off. Okay, same verse, same text. It's almost three-year vacation. He had no special messages for Mother's Day, for All Saints Day, for Veterans Day, for Easter, for Christmas. For, he didn't even have a candlelight service. I can't believe it. And yet in 25 years... Okay, now you guys want to know who, who, what makes me tick. 25 years I've been in this pulpit for 11. In 25 years, he took six years to exposit the book of Acts. Everybody know how many Sundays you have in a year? How many? 52 Sundays, okay. All right, he had six years in the book of Acts, 46 messages in the Thessalonian letters, 186 messages in the Corinthian letters, 86 messages in 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, 43 out of the book of Galatians, 48 out of Ephesus. In the spring of 1559, he began a study of the Gospels and the harmony of the Gospels, the four Gospels together, laying them out as they each augment each other. And he didn't get it finished because he died in May of 1564. Okay? Now, that's a lot of work right there. And that is what he did on Sunday morning. Okay? In the middle of the week, he did 159 messages out of the book of Job. 200 messages out of Deuteronomy, 353 messages out of Isaiah, 123 messages out of Genesis. And let me tell you something, that takes study and that takes preparation. He preached, not teaching, he preached 10 times every two weeks. He lectured three times a week on theology. Oh, he had a Friday Bible study. He also visited the sick. He also counseled people. He also had an amazing amount of reading and writing. And I know what you're all going to say. He was a pastor. He's supposed to do that. Let me tell you something. You know what? You just don't understand, Terry. I'm struggling with my husband. I'm struggling with my kids. I'm struggling. Okay, let me get personal with my dear friend, Mr. Calvin. He was noted for having a weak stomach. He was also noted having debilitating migraines, and he learned to master the migraines if he only ate once a day. 
If you only eat once a day, he didn't get these migraines, which probably works well if you have a very bad stomach. Okay? So he wasn't what I would classify as a healthy human being. Not only was he not healthy, here is part of what he wrote his doctor in 1553. He writes his physician and says that I have a colic in such a way that it causes me to spit up blood. He says, that's not as bad as the gout, but that's okay because the pain of my hemorrhoids has removed the pains of my kidney stones. Okay? He had a wife and five kids. The oldest child lived to be six. They all died, so did his wife. Okay? But don't worry, God is merciful and gracious. Somehow he inherited eight that were heirs, either brother, sister, kids, and they came to live with him. So John Calvin, with all of those physical ailments, was a single parent also. And I told you what he taught. I told you what he had to study. I told you how many times he preached. And I'm telling you that the sun rises and the sun set in the same amount of time as it does today. And he didn't have fluorescent light. And yet, he turned the world upside down. Calvin and Luther. Both turned the world upside down. But here was the thing that they were focused on. What was it? He wasn't worried about his hemorrhoids. He wasn't worried about his gout. He was worried about his migraines because his migraines put him in a position he couldn't read. And he says, my God shall not, I quote, shall not be honored me in that position. So if I must eat one meal a day, So be it. God took his children. God took his wife. But God says, don't worry. I have other stewards for you to to entrust in. Okay. Now your text out of 2 Thessalonians says this. I give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith and truth. It was for this that he called you, through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of Lord Jesus Christ. I have Calvin's commentaries sitting above my desk. I don't have his institutes. His institutes... Um, Well, they're getting them down. But it's multiple volumes now. He's doing all that writing and all that study. Why? Because you have been called. Hear what I'm saying. You have been called to show yourself a worker approved. How will you be approved before God? Rightly dividing truth. Who? You. Every single one of you. Why? We gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, I know, I, I know that there's all kinds of stuff in each of your lives. It begs your time. 
It, it, it begs your attention. It begs your mental capabilities at times, doesn't it? You have all kinds of things that want you, that says that you must do this. And I will tell you by what drives you is the influence you'll have in your world. Whatever is pushing you is seen by people in your world. Whatever you're devoted to, whatever you have uh, an affection to, the world's going to see it. And by that same degree is the effect that you'll have on your world. I gave you two two men who literally have turned the world upside down. I share with you John MacArthur because you know what's amazing about MacArthur? I spoke to him when he first took Grace Community Church. Had about 100 people and he said his single prayer was this. Lord, don't let me lose these that you've entrusted to me. He prayed that every day. And I smiled at him. I said, well, sound like Lord bless that one. Okay. His single focus was solely the exposition of the scriptures. Period. That's all MacArthur wants to do. It's, this is it. This is it. That's all. That's all. Here's the Bible. Here's the Bible. Here's the Bible. Here's the Bible. And they call him ignorant. They call him an uneducated man, an unlearned man. And all he's going to do is give you Bible stuff. There's a pastor in Castle Rock right now who says, if you want to worship God, come to us. If you want theology, you need to go talk to Terry. That's horrifying. That's horrifying. How do you worship God if you don't have theology? How do you do that? Let me ask you a question. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? When you look in a mirror, what do you see? Let me share with you a text, and I'll close with this thought. In light of the old covenant versus the new covenant, you just partook of the cup and the bread. That would be the new covenant. When you look in a mirror, what do you see? Paul states this, we with all, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Do you hear what he said? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? And he says, we all, you know who that would be, right? Just kidding. With unveiled, okay? You know what that means, right? You're not blindfolded looking in the mirror. With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, what? The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Okay, that is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. You get that? What did I just share with you out of 2 Thessalonians? That you may gain the what? Glory of the Lord. I just gave you Martin Luther. I gave you John Calvin. Dr. MacArthur. I touched on Charles Spurgeon. 
all men used amazingly in the body of Christ, all men have one thing in common. Word of God. Period. Period. It's just the Word of God. Or you can have the Word of God. Or you can have the Word of God. Why? The goal is transformed into the image of Christ Jesus. Now explain to me how you do that outside of the Word of God. What book are you going to study? What class are you going to take? What seminary degree are you going to get? What Bible college degree are you going to get? One way. One way. One way. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word. Father, what it means to me and Father, these men that uh, you've privileged me to, to spend time with. And Father, I just pray that my brothers and sisters will fall in love with your word. We will not be as, as the lost, not receiving a love of truth. Father, those who hear this message today, may they fall in love with your word. May it be evident in their life. May it overwhelm them. May it overthrow them. May they draw upon the King of kings and Lord of lords. May they draw upon your mind, your wisdom, and your knowledge. Father, may they set aside all the words of men. May they embrace the word of God. And Father, I rest in the assurance that your spirit and your word transforms to the glory of Christ. To you, my Savior. To you, my Lord. To you who is truth. Amen.